Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. In each episode of the podcast, we choose a saga, explore its story and themes, and judge the actions of its characters at The Saga Thing. And welcome back, and happy 2019! We've been away for a few weeks while we each put the final nails in 2018's coffin in our own ways. Uh, Andy moved to a new house, and I performed the ritual drinking of an advent calendar of beer for each day in December. Mm. Now, some, I, I kind of feel like I got the short end of the stick on this one. I'm moving no, no, and you're well, drinking? Yeah, but is it a nice new house? I mean, it's a it's a nice rental property. Yeah, I so, like my own house. If that's so, <laughs> you're, you you like where you All are right. now? I do. Yes, point made. But I do like drinking and mm-hmm. an advent uh, calendar. Sounds but, uh, nice. Besides moving and drinking, what else do we do in the last couple of weeks? Well, I mean, I traveled and stuff like that. But I think <laughs> what you're implying here is uh, something about reading a saga. Yes, of course. Yes, it was a segue. Well, did we read a saga? <laughs> Uh, well, I read a saga. I assume you read it too. Yes, yes. But did we read a saga? Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Okay, I see. Uh, yeah, we should talk about that because it's yeah. a, a problem. Yeah, this is a this is a short stack of saga flapjacks. Uh, it's quite undersized. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, why don't you share the Hrofenkel measurement if you have it <laughs> handy? Yeah, I do have it handy. And uh, Alehood sits at the feather light souffle like lower end of the saga size spectrum. Uh, it measures 0.31 Hravenkels, <laughs> less than a third of a Hravenkel. Oh, I mean, so I, I, I read, I've read this several times, but every time I read it, the last page comes up and I'm like, how did that happen? It, it's over already? <laughs> well, how did nothing happen? Yeah, it's it's definitely got to be the uh, the minimal watermark for for sagas. Yeah, no, it's the, it's the Mendoza line of sagas. Yeah. It's almost impressive in its unimpressiveness. In a way, yeah. I mean, it's, it's at two thousand nine hundred and twelve words. Uh, <laughs> okay. Now, for a bit of comparison, Andy, this quote unquote saga is shorter than the word count I assign for final papers in my upper level classes. Yeah. It's it's less than half the length of the Greenlander saga, which is our previous title holder for shortest saga. Mm-hmm. Hell, it's only three hundred words longer than the conversion section in Yal saga. Wow, which That's means, crazy. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, it means the Nyal's the Nyal author went on a tangent that was basically <laughs> as long as Alehood. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, now I, I'm going to grant you it is a it's an insy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot. Bisaga. It's Bisaga. A, Bisaga, yeah. It's it's a wee little saget. It's mm-hmm. a tiny little thin one, only a wafer thin. Wafer thin. But uh it's still on our list, and when it comes to the sagas, size doesn't matter, people. Yeah, okay. Uh, but the question <laughs> of whether Alehood belongs on our list of sagas isn't just a question of length. It's also there's a matter of style, Andy. Mm-hmm. And by style, I obviously mean the vexed question of what constitutes a saga. Or what constitutes a thouter, for that matter. Mm, yes. Uh, the, the short story. Alehood's either one or the other, and I know that there are thouter that are longer than Alehood. Yes, there are. Um, but if it's a saga or a thouter, it all depends on who's doing the looking, really. Well, but for this podcast, we're doing the looking, and this isn't a saga. (laughs) Well, for our purposes today, it is. Uh, But uh, there is some debate about whether this slim story is a saga or thouter in the scholarship. Most people consider it a thouter. And I think you and I both tend to agree with them. There's just not enough here to count this as a saga in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But John Lindau, who wrote the entry for Alehood in the Medieval Scandinavia Encyclopedia, he sees it differently. 
because the uh, it's it's very clear that the encyclopedia editors listed as Ulk Ofra Thauter. Yes. Um, but Lindau clearly objected to that decision because he begins his <laughs> entry with this. Ulk Ofra Thauter should properly be called Ulk Ofra Saga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've read that entry. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, he also admits that it's a truncated saga at best. Well, I, I think you added the at best there. Well, maybe. Uh, But since (laughs) Aelhood or Olkofri Saga is considered a saga in our Complete Sagas of Icelanders set, Mm -hmm. we're taking it on for this podcast. Yes, we are. Even though the first line of the introduction to the saga in Volume 5 here says that it is also known as Olkofri's Tale. Right. So if you're listening to this, if you could just mentally insert an asterisk anytime we call this thing a saga, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Now, why don't we uh, do a quick preview of the bite-sized treat we have in store? Andy, would you be so good as to push the button? In this episode, a hapless brewer gets into a heap of trouble when he falls asleep while making charcoal. By the time he awakens from his unlucky slumber, the whole of his woodland is ablaze. The fire quickly spreads to a larger woodland nearby and burns it to the ground. Unfortunately for him, those woods are jointly owned by six of Iceland's most powerful chieftains. And once they get word of the fire, the six Gothar begin hatching a plan to rob the doomed ale merchant of his property and freedom. And with enemies like this, friends are hard to come by. Will a hero step up to defend this sleepy cellar of subpar ales, or will he be thrown to the wolves and ripped to shreds? Find out as Saga Thing takes on the Saga of Alehood. Not really a saga. All right, there you go. Short and sweet. So uh, can we situate the story a bit? When is this happening? Well, this is set in the early 11th century, probably about a, I guess, a, like a decade after the burning of Njal Thorgerson's family in Njal Saga. Mm-hmm. But um, since you brought it up a minute ago, we should also say that this is one of the earlier sagas in terms of when it was written, uh, because it dates from the mid-13th century. Right, and that'll be important when we're talking about the plot, I think. Uh, but I'll concede your implied point. This might be considered a proto-saga. Oh, I mean, I was going to talk about something else, but yes, it has been called a proto-saga. Um, this is a saga still covered in protoplasmic ooze, which Ew. in my mind makes it kind of a sticky read. Yeah, see, now you made it gross. Hmm. Uh, now, to be clear, there are fully developed sagas being written this early. Right? Yeah. I mean, the general consensus is that Ale Saga, for example, is written even a decade or two before this one. Yes, but putting aside the timeline issue... Aylhood's author isn't really working in the full saga tradition in any case. He, he's writing a, a one episode, which makes it a thouter, um, and it's a it's a really a political satire more than anything. Right, and that's that's I think one of the more interesting things about the critical response to Aylhood. Uh, Barthi Goodmanson uses this story and Bandamana to argue that some or even most of the sagas aren't primarily interested in the history of Iceland for its own sake. They're actually focused on allegorizing contemporary politics of the 13th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. And I think we should talk about that uh, as we go through this. But uh, I think we should also clarify that when we talk about Aylhood as being an early or proto saga, we don't necessarily mean that it's of low quality as a story. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's also well regarded by critics. Uh, mm-hmm. John Lindau, for example, uh, says that the high quality of the style and characterization in this saga 
is beyond debate. But beyond? I, beyond? I guess we can just go home early then? Yes, but but that would spoil all the fun we're about to have. Well, I mean, the compliments for this story aren't hard to find, it's true. Uh, even our favorite curmudgeon, uh, Jonas Christensen, calls this a beautifully told and very entertaining story. Although he also calls it a thouter rather than a saga. Mm. And that's absolutely gushing praise from Christensen, given all the, yeah. the many quotes uh, we've shared from him. <laughs> I mean, let's remember, this is the same guy who said that Greta's saga was unfinished and an uneven quality. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, now, some scholars are a bit more neutral about Alehood. Uh, Carol Clover, for example, uh, comments on the story only briefly, doesn't praise it. And sees it as potentially influenced by European Fabliaux, which I'm not so sure about. But it's an interesting idea. Hmm, that's true. Yeah, and most people that do talk about this one in the scholarship are usually doing so in a comparison with Banda Manasaga. Right, and I think right. And it often comes we, off the worst in that comparison. Yes, and as, as we go through this episode, you'll, you'll probably pick up on a lot of the similarities between the two right away. Yeah, hard um, to but, miss. We, shot, we, we probably shouldn't get uh, dragged off into a whole sideline on continental influences in the saga and comparisons with Banda Manasaga, but uh, is there anything else we should say before we start? Well, I think we need to get this thing going before we end up with an introduction longer than the saga all by itself. <laughs> I think we're getting close already, but uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get to it. Part one, Thorhall the Ale Cellar. Okay, so... This saga is about a man who faces a confederacy of powerful and corrupt men in a legal case. The law is on the side of the powerful, but moral right is not, and a less corrupt man steps in to help the defendant by embarrassing the plaintiffs through public insults. Now, those insults are calculated to do maximum damage to each man's honor, and the saga ends after a perfunctory attempt to smooth over the hurt feelings caused by the case. Now, Andy, what I've just described to you is not Banda Manasaga, <laughs> even though that description is point for point the same as a description of Banda Manasaga. Yeah, I mean, you I could just describe Alehood. You could use that same summary for both sagas and get exactly. away with it. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, our story begins with the introduction of our protagonist, a merchant named Thorhall. Right. Now, Thorhall is a fairly wealthy man, but not an important one. He's more of a jack-of-all-trades. He's a, he's a blacksmith, he's an ironmonger, he's an amateur carpenter, a charcoal maker, and an ale seller. That's right. And the ale selling is obviously the important part of our story. Thorhall has a business, although I think the charcoal making is also quite important. Right, it's significant, yes. Yeah, so Thorhall has a business venture supplying the important men of Iceland with ale during the all thing every summer, which is kind of a yeah. cool detail. Yeah, I love this detail. Uh, it's one of those little insights into the working of a community that authors usually skip over. Yeah. A lot of people would have made a living through businesses that serve the needs of the elite. Uh, but they're not usually the people that sagas are written about, so they're often invisible. You're right. Uh, but we do hear about those people in Thouter, which this is. <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> uh, so it would be part of uh, putting on a show of uh, it would be part of putting on a show of importance and wealth at the all thing to be able to offer refreshment to anyone visiting your booths. Sure. And over the course of a few weeks, that's a lot of refreshments to have to supply. And no matter how rich you are, it'd be a massive undertaking to transport large quantities of drink across the island. Mm -hmm. So you'd naturally be looking for someone who could be relied upon to provide the booze for sale at the thing site. Right. And Thorhall sells ale in quantity, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a high-quality product. No. Uh, the author says, the ale was not always liked, and neither <laughs> were the men who sold it. 
So he's offering kegs of the medieval equivalent of skunked beer yes. or a sour beer, but not in a good craft beer kind of way. This isn't oh, a goza. Right. No, but he's got a lot of it for sale and it's right there. I mean, it's right there and it's probably high price too. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's basically a, an advertising strategy for like Budweiser, isn't it? Boom. <laughs> Take that Anheuser-Busch. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, so what we got here. Right. Oh, yes. We're raking it in. Um, so Thorhall is an unpopular man who sells bad beer. Uh, he's miserly. He's mean. He has a squint from poor eyesight. And uh, he wears a hood all the time. Now, since a lot of people know him as the guy with the hood who sells ale, he becomes known as Ale Hood. Nicknames. <laughs> we'll talk about nicknames later. Okay. So Alehood owns a wooded area near the all thing, which he uses to make the charcoal he needs for brewing large amounts of beer. Mm-hmm. And one year in the autumn, he's out in his woods making charcoal when he falls asleep. And by the time he wakes up, the charcoal fire has escaped the pit and set fire to the surrounding woods, which is See, not good. Yeah, now this is why it's important to always make charcoal with a buddy. Well, I mean, we established that Alehood's not a popular guy. Fair point. Unfortunately, the woods that he just set fire to aren't isolated. They border a wood that is jointly owned by six powerful Gothar, or chieftains, who use it for firewood for their booths during the All Thing. Oh, but these are rich and important men. I mean, they can afford to take a loss like this, right? Well, I mean, of course they can. And, th- I mean, this, this property is really nothing to them. But, uh right. They might just decide, as big chieftains sometimes do, mm-hmm. to be petty and nasty <laughs> just to take down the guy who's been selling them bad beer at premium prices. Yeah, unless that happens, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, before we get to the meat of the story, we should probably explain this kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Do people know how charcoal got made in the Middle Ages? I mean, why would a charcoal-making <laughs> operation burn down an entire woodland? I think that's um, what we're talking about. All right. <laughs> Uh, I think you just want to see whether I know. <laughs> uh, okay, to be brief and avoid confusion, uh, we should just say that the little briquettes that most Americans barbecue with are not really charcoal. Of course, yeah. Well, they're called briquettes, which usually mm-hmm. means little bricks. So right. like a brick, they're made of a compressed material, uh, charcoal dust in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to mass produce, easy to use, but it's not real charcoal. Right, exactly. So real charcoal is made by a process starting with logs of wood and, well, I mean, it's basically what's explained in this story. That's right, yeah. Well, the, the saga says that Alehood is digging pits in the ground and then tending to fires inside them. Yep. Uh, so Alehood is using the pit method, right? So he's digging a few small pits, starting fires in each one, and then packing each one tightly with logs and other wood. Mm-hmm. Then he has to quickly seal the pit by covering it with leaves and dirt to a depth of probably about 16 inches total. Uh, The right combination of smothering and burning materials keeps the fire burning but not able to spread. Ideally. (laughs) Right. Now, the tricky part is maintaining that balance of air and smother for the two or three days that it takes to complete the process. Mm. So if it goes well, what you end up with is a load of carbon-rich charred wood, which will burn hotter and better than the wood it came from. And uh, what if it goes badly? Well, I mean, you've basically built a natural backdraft. Uh, If the fire burns through that covering material, air rushes in, the whole thing ignites into open flames, and the fire can easily spread to nearby trees or other pits. Which is exactly what happened to the very sleepy alehood. Exactly. Uh, So now, as we were hinting a minute ago, when that fire spread to the woods owned jointly by six chieftains, alehood made some very powerful enemies. Mm -hmm. Or more accurately, 
opened himself up to be demolished by six very powerful and greedy men eager to shake down a wealthy but unpopular plebe. That's right. So we'll be making comparisons to Bandamanasaga here and there. Bandamanasaga. Uh, right. Since they really are pretty similar sagas in a lot of ways. So yeah, they're that. very similar in their basic structure, as we were saying before. Uh, so we've got both are stories about a group of chieftains ganging up to ruin a wealthy man who they see is beneath them. Mm-hmm. Right? Both stories treat the legal system as a tool used by the powerful to dominate weaker men. Well, right. Uh, there are other similarities as well, but this is a good example of how the two stories are sometimes different. Bandamana Saga offered a narrative justification for the behavior of the chieftains. It, it was flimsy, but they at least had legitimate mm-hmm. motives for attacking Odd Ulfixen. Yeah. This saga does away with any pretense altogether. Yeah, does away with pretense is a nice way to put it. Uh, another way would be to say that it lacks the polish of that kind of narrative subtlety. Ouch. Wow. Well, I mean, this is why Stefan Anderson calls Alehood a, quote, shorter and more primitive story than Bandamana. <laughs> well, we can definitely say that this is a simpler story. Mm-hmm. Uh, these six chieftains seize on an opportunity to ruin an upstart they don't like, and the burning of their woods, which for all of them is quite far away from their homes, mm-hmm. it's and, and also not terribly useful to them, it's just an excuse to attack and destroy him. Well, he was selling skunked Budweiser. Um, so so let's get to the uh, who's who of chieftains who are lined up against Alehood. Well, it's quite a gallery of uh, mm. rogues, if you will. Um, <laughs> this saga is set in the early 11th century, sometime after the burning of Njal's family in, uh, in Njal's saga. So the generation of chieftains we're looking at are from that generation or later. Exactly. Uh, so the six chieftains, uh, all with names you might recognize, are Snorri Gothi. Scotty the Law Speaker. Thorkel Gateson. Huh? Guthman. <laughs> we've talked about Thorkel Gateson many yeah, times. Yeah, I know. Guthman the Powerful. <laughs> yes. Eolf uh, Thordarson, son of Thord Geller. That's Thord <laughs> Bellower. Mm-hmm. And uh, Thorkel Fringe or Thorkel Scarf, depends right. on how you want to uh, translate the name. Uh, so this is essentially a list of the most important chieftains of a generation. Yeah, I think uh, we have talked about every one of those guys. Just some- about, yeah. I mean, I certainly would say these are some of the top men in the uh, in all of Iceland in this ter- in this period in history. I'm sure you would. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Note that they're all listed together as the bad guys, though. Just want to throw that out there. And you're just saying that because you've got multiple thingmen in the mix here. Well, no, okay. I mean, that would seem to be an endorsement of my choices to this point, I think. But all right. Uh, the fact remains, these are all heavy hitters. Yeah. I mean, Goodman the Powerful, Snorri Gothi, Skafti. Uh, this is the absolute fair at fair of the all thing. The who's who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's our Old Norse lesson for the day. Yeah. Uh, no, these are all important guys. Right? I mean, even the ones who aren't themselves hugely important, like uh, Eolf, the son of Thord Yeller, is the son of Thord Yeller. I mean, he's the you know he's the son of a very important man. That's right. But I, I want to reiterate, these are terrible people in this saga. Terrible people. No, no, no. I'm not about to answer for the baseless slurs against my thingmen made by feckless authors of passive-aggressive micro-sagas. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm, we're not going to dwell on this too long, but I want to point out that <laughs> Scott the Lawspeaker comes up as a... a uh, negative character in almost every saga he appears in not the one i took him in 
That was. And I believe well. you're the one who's such a proponent of choosing men based on their behavior in the saga we choose them in. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, anyway, no matter what, it doesn't make your thingmen less guilty of abusing their power. They are the figures yeah. of power abusers in the saga. You are you are being ignored. Ah. Uh, can can we just say though that? Snorri Gothi showing up is a funny one. I mean, he's really a generation older than most of the others. Yeah, but he's still hanging around. I remember he was involved in Yal Saga and he got... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's an elder statesman at this point. And he's there you go. Still, he, I think he's chosen because he's representing uh, manipulators and conniving men. Oh, how so dare you? It fits. Your, your, your envy over my choice of Snorri Gothi just does not become you. <laughs> Remember in uh, Njal Saga, Snorri mm-hmm. was chosen to head the Council of Men trying to resolve the lawsuit between Flosi and the Njalsons. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is, he is a, actually a respected graybeard by the 1010s or so, though okay. a conniving manipulator. No, no, always, absolutely <laughs> proud to be one. Uh, but if these you can get that guy on your side, the better. Well, I mean, you know, uh, why wouldn't you want him? Uh, so this uh, group of chieftains learn of the burning of their woodland, and it's decided that Scofty Lawspeaker should lead a lawsuit on behalf of all of them, uh, mainly just because he's the closest one in terms of where he yeah. lives. Uh, he travels to Alehood's farm the following spring and conducts a summons against him. But Alehood is defiant. You won't act so grand at the all things, Scofty. Not when my friends will be there. Uh, friends? Alehood has friends? I don't recall that. Not really, no. <laughs> he has customers. People yes. Come that up seems and- to... Yeah, that's what he thinks, that his loyal customers will be happy to help him out against his foes. Well, that (laughs) seems uh, optimistic, let's say. (laughs) Uh, Essentially, all we know of Alehood at this point is that he's not well-liked, his beer is substandard, and people can't remember his actual name most of the time. (laughs) But, I mean, surely people will see a man in need and put aside such petty things, Andy. Well, not really, no. Uh, (laughs) This is a saga about the selfishness and corruption of the elite classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some ways, we're seeing hints of the 13th century Storgold out here. Oh, actually, you know what? We haven't talked about them lately. Could you just explain very quickly? Yes, you know how I love the uh, Storgodar. I know you so, do. The Storgodar are the overmighty chieftains of later medieval Iceland. Uh, by the 12th century, there were a few families that had gained control over a lot of the chieftaincies of Iceland. And the consolidation of power, that kind of continued into the 13th century. And by mm-hmm. then, there were only a couple of families who controlled almost all of the political power in Iceland, and they were very abusive to the people that they uh, <laughs> yes, they were. Yeah, um, and so a lot of the material wealth uh, they they owned as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, and these chieftains we're seeing in Alehood Saga are some of the ancestors of those overpowered chieftains a few generations later. That's right. Yeah, for example, Snorri Gothi is an ancestor of the Sturlung clan, uh, including the infamous Snorri Sturluson, his descendant <laughs> and namesake. So so showing these men to be acting coldly and selfishly, this may be part of a sociopolitical statement by the saga's author. Yes, uh, The Storgothar are widely seen as responsible for the collapse of the Commonwealth of Iceland in the 13th century. Exactly, yes. And and this is a way of uh, of kind of thumbing your nose at them. Uh, right. Showing how they manipulate their positions yep. of power uh, irresponsibly and immorally. Mm-hmm. In fact, this saga was written uh, right around the collapse uh, and the capitulation to Norway in 1262. So that would be a pressing issue for the immediate audience of the saga. Right. Uh, well, okay, so let's get back to that saga. Uh, in a shocking turn of events... As two people who have already repeatedly read the story, we have correctly predicted the plot. Alehood yes. goes around the all thing looking for support, but gets nowhere. 
Yeah. Uh, he even starts offering free beer to anyone who will support him. That's right. I love but that But that part. gets him nowhere. Well, I mean, it's not good beer. We've established that. <laughs> uh, now, eventually, Alehood uh, runs out of options for support and goes off to have a good cry by himself. Which is surprising to me because he actually does cry. Yes. <laughs> it says he leans up against a wall and starts bawling. Yes. Um, I mean, if this guy were in any way likable, I would feel bad for him right now. I mean, it wouldn't kill you to offer a little pity anyway. Well, I mean, it is a bad situation. We should feel yeah. bad for him. Yeah. Although it is interesting. I mean, as we've been saying, this is a saga about the villainous behavior of corrupt chieftains. It's kind of odd that the victim is sort of a tool as well. Yeah. I mean, he's he's miserly. He's, an, he's a miserly, arrogant peddler of bog standard beer who accidentally burns down entire woods. Are we really supposed to like this guy? Yeah, see, I don't, I don't think so, which is interesting. It's an interesting mm. choice on the part of the author. The story doesn't really hinge on liking Alehood so much as, as recognizing the lack of moral restraint shown by the chieftains who are attacking him. Right, but narratively, that point could be more easily made if we had some reason to hope for a positive outcome for him. In Bandamana, Bandamana, uh, we saw Odd Ophigson's rise to wealth and prominence. Yeah. And so our sympathies were kind of already with him because we saw him earn what he had. Right. So when the chieftains decided to take him down a peg And he was very he was quite innocent. Right, right. And there's no equivalent figure here at all. So so what's needed is some kind of good Samaritan who's willing to take up Aylhood's cause against the corrupt elites. Someone who will uphold this moral standard we're looking for. You know, maybe a protagonist, in fact, a which true we don't have yet. Yeah. Uh, which is why our story's perspective now shifts to the last booth Alehood visited, where a conversation is now taking place between two more powerful men. Part 2. The All-Thing Hustle. So, the two men we're now focused on are Thorstein Sidohalsen and his brother-in-law, Beard Brody Bjarnason. Now, we have seen both of these guys in other sagas as well. Yeah, Thorstein is the son of Hall of Sida, who was one of the first Christian converts in Iceland. Mm -hmm. uh, Thorsten and his dad were both players in the later stages of Njal's saga, and he'll be showing up in several more sagas we've still got to cover. In fact, he has his own saga, which we will eventually get to, and a well, thoughter all about his dreams. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to uh, tip the hand there, but... Wow. Uh, now, in this, uh, in this saga, Thorsten's an established chieftain and a well-respected man in his own right. Mm -hmm. It's another reminder that this is a later story. Right. The kids of the Men in Yal saga are now the ones running things. And Beard Brody, he was, uh, he was in Bandamana saga, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. And is that all you have to say about him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Would well, you have something to say about <laughs> Why? Oh, uh, you got something. Why don't you share with the class? What is it? Well, I thought you'd want to make a note of the fact that you chose him as your thing man in <laughs> <What>? that saga. <laughs> Wait, what? Did I? <laughs> Bearded Brody Bjarnason. <laughs> yeah. Hang on a second. I don't remember that. Uh, you most certainly did. It, it struck me as an odd choice at the time. Hmm. And I'm delighted to point out my review of your pick on our WordPress site okay. begins with a forgettable choice. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm sure he's a remarkable man who uh, I felt very strongly about at the time. I just, I just don't remember him at all. Uh-huh. As I say, a forgettable choice. Was he the hero of the saga? <laughs> uh, no. Well, that's strange because in this saga, John, he is a morally upstanding individual. A young man in his 20s 
who represents the Icelandic nobility as it should be. Uh, yeah, let's not let you break an arm patting yourself on the back. Um, <laughs> this is one of the villains of Bandamanasaga. He was one of the corrupt chieftains who tried to ruin Otto Fixen. Uh, just in the background. Yeah, yeah, but in this in this saga, I'll give you, he's the one arguing for the little guy. But it is quite a turnaround for a man who's been guilty of bullying others himself. Well, I knew the better angels of his nature would come out eventually. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Thorsten has just turned Aelhood away, saying that he doesn't remember any friendship between them in the past. In other words, like everybody else, he got the worst of deals with Aelhood for his bad beer. Uh, but now Beard Brody makes an argument on Aelhood's behalf. It seems to me, brother-in-law, that this man is ill-suited to be an outlaw. It is meanness in those who think themselves great to try to hang outlawry on such a man. The decent thing to do would be to help him, as you must admit. Well, give him help if you're so eager to, and I will give the same support in this as in other things. Gorsh, I didn't know Goofy was coming in. Yeah, Thorsten is here. <laughs> well, well, that wasn't hard. He suddenly turned him around, didn't he? Well, it's, uh, you know, the author kind of skips the moralizing speeches that we get in something like Hravenkill Saga. Oh, right. When Thorkel Streak has to uh, browbeat his brother Thorgir into offering support against Hravenkill. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a weird episode that started with uh, Thorkel telling old Thorbjorn to accidentally, on purpose, grab Thorgir's mm-hmm. infected foot and twist it. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, I don't know that moralizing is really even needed here. I mean, it, it seems like Thorsten wants to help. He just doesn't want to take on the six chieftains by himself. Yeah, it's a lot. Once once he learns that he can team up with Brode, he's in. So this is another parallel to Bandamana. In yes. that story, Ofeg the trickster convinced two chieftains to turn on their six friends by telling each one that the other was on board. Mm-hmm. In Alehood, there are six chieftains to start with, and the other two are never really allied with them. But the numbers still tally up. Yeah, and no, I'll buy that as a motif, or at least a borrowing. Uh, and it's generally agreed that Bondamana borrows heavily from Alehood. But this is starting to sound like a first-grade math problem. How many ways can you organize eight chieftains? <laughs> uh, hey, Andy, how many corrupt chieftains does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, dear Lord. How many, John? Uh, none. They're too busy screwing the poor. <laughs> <laughs> you should be proud of that one. That... that- I'm a little proud of that one. <laughs> anyway, there's another difference. Uh, Ulfig is masterminding the whole thing in Bandamana. Aelhood is a pathetic figure who never really has a major role in his own story. There is no mastermind here, right? Case in point, when Brody and Thorsten send a man to find Aelhood, it's not much of a search. Aelhood is leaning against the wall outside of Thorsten's booth and sobbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the servant is openly contemptuous of him, too. Go in the booth and stop your wailing. And don't sniffle when you approach Thorsten. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the short version here is that Thorsten offers to help Aelhood with Beerbrody's support uh, rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. So, um, But that makes sense. Thorsten's the more established man and a chieftain. As we'll see, Brody's going to do his own part to help. Yeah, but they're going to have their hands full because Skafti Mm -hmm. and Goodman the Powerful have decided to pursue a sentence of full outlawry for the burning of the woodlands. Now that's a right, which harsh, is odd. Yeah, it's a very harsh penalty, and that comes with the confiscation of Aelhood's property and his banishment from the island. Mm-hmm. The author was surely aware, I think, that early medieval Icelandic law codes did address the accidental burning of someone's woodlands. Um, that usually comes with a penalty, uh, usually a fine, a, a monetary fine, and sure. occasionally you would get a maximum penalty of minor outlawry, which is three years banishment. 
They're treating Mm -hmm. this as a case of willful and malicious burning of a woodland, which is also addressed and comes with that penalty of full outlawry. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to suggest this is willful or malicious, right? No, and it's it's fairly clear that he fell asleep and just kind of accidentally did this. Right. But, of course, we already said that these are corrupt chieftains. Right. Right. They don't don't really care what the law requires in this case because they can make the law do what they want. Absolutely. And they already don't like him, right? So they – and they know other people don't like him. So they can – Right. Someone like Aylwood is a figure to be despised, right? Everybody hates him even before he becomes legally vulnerable. Right. Yeah. And and we shouldn't gloss over the fact that Thorstein and Brody are helping Aylhood, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't also look down on him or dislike him. Mm-hmm. Yep. They continue to make fun of him, in fact. Thorstein mocks him for his groveling praises of Beard Brody during the meeting, and Brody's kindest words to him are something like, Well, I suppose you couldn't look out for their woods when you were so busy burning down your own. Yeah, it's, it's snarky, Brody. <laughs> yeah. But once they're done razzing Alehood, uh, they agree to help him. Yeah, but this isn't just going to be regular assistance. Oh, no. This is going to involve a plan. A cunning plan. Yep. Uh, now, it'll help if you imagine this next bit is happening kind of Ocean's Eleven style. Uh, lots of crisp camera cuts, people looking super cool while walking, characters turning up unexpectedly in costumes, that kind of thing. That's not strictly necessary, but uh, all right. (laughs) It'll enhance the experience for you. Uh, Can we get the heist planning music up for this? All right, let me see what I can do here. How's how's this? Perfect. Uh, So Thorsten stays behind to organize his supporters, and Brody and Aylhood head to Law Rock with a group of followers. When they get there, the crowd is breaking up for the day, but they spot two of their marks. Goodman, the powerful and scoffy law speaker, are standing together and chatting about some fine point of law. As one does. Well, sure. Now, Brody and his men peel off, leaving Alehood to approach the two men alone. He falls at their feet, crying out for mercy and asking for help from the chieftains. Finally, when he stops for breath, Goodman and Skofty can respond. How wretchedly this man carries on, Skofty. What has happened to your pride now, Alehood? Whatever became of the support of your Gothar friends you threatened me with back in spring? I was crazy then, or worse, not wanting to grant you judgment in my case. And don't mention the chieftains, for they all lose heart the moment they see you two coming. I was a fool and a simpleton when I rejected your arbitrated settlement. Now I don't dare to look at you and your friends, <laughs> for they will kill me if you two won't help me. <laughs> He just goes on and on like that, doesn't he? Yeah, for a while. Uh, and it, he's kind of hamming it up. I mean, selling himself as a friendless sad sack. Uh, well, it's not really a stretch. He is a friendless sad sack. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but in this case, it's all part of the plan. I mean, Goodman starts to feel bad, or at least contemptuous. Uh, and he talks Scofty into agreeing to an arbitrated settlement. Old, soft-hearted Goodman the Powerful. Uh, so the agreement is that Skofty and Guthmund are to arbitrate the settlement, and they'll see to it that their confederates will go along with the settlement. Ah, uh, so wait a second. Is that the agreement? Because I don't think it is. Yes. But but here's what Skofty says. I think it's worth paying attention to. It's up to me to conclude the case since I'm prosecuting it. Guthmund and I will take all the risk, Aylhood, of naming the settlement and concluding the case. Right. And then they call witnesses to the agreement. It's locked down. It's airtight. But that's what Skopti says. Aylhood hasn't necessarily agreed to that explicitly, has he? Yes, he has. Not really. 
After Scofty twice states the terms, they shake on it in front of the witnesses. Ah, but of course, those witnesses would need to be reliable. Have they got reliable witnesses, John? Oh, of course they do. It happens that Beard Birdie Bjarnason and his followers are walking past at just that moment. Oh. And offer to serve as neutral witnesses to the deal. Nicely timed there. <laughs> and now that everyone else is coming over to see what's going on, Scopti says, Well, we might as well make the settlement now. Rana, don't, don't be in such a hurry. I haven't decided to choose you two rather than other men. A shocking twist. It's a shocking lie is what it is. <laughs> well, is it? I, I mean, I'm still not sure about the agreement because we don't get all the details. No. No, I think it's pretty straightforward, or at least it should have been. Uh, but now, when Guthman appeals to the witnesses to confirm the terms of the agreement, it turns out Brody and his men all agree that no such stipulation was made. You see? And no one would doubt the word of an upstanding Icelander of beard Brody's caliber. Yeah, they probably should because he's lying. <laughs> Uh, but this sting has been pulled off expertly. Not only are Scofty and Guthman caught off guard, but they still don't know what's going on. Now, Scofty says, Where did this wave come from to refloat your hopes? I see you're bearing your tail a little higher than you did a little while ago. Which men do you choose to name the settlement? Well, uh, there's no need to wait on that. I choose Thorstein Sivahalsen and Brody Bjarnason. And I think the case will turn out better than if you two had decided it. See, he is bearing his tail a little higher, isn't he? Look at that. Yeah, he's an arrogant little streak of yellow, isn't he? <laughs> it's in Aylhood's character, I think. He wears his heart <laughs> on his sleeve. And when things are bad, he cries while leaning on a booth. But when things are good, he's bombastic and euphoric. Yeah. It's being presented as a flaw in his personality, I think. Uh, but so now that part one of the plan has gone off without a hitch... Everyone returns to their booths to prepare for the following day and the resolution of the court case. And so do we. Part 3. The Fluting. So they're not wasting any time at Law Rock. The case is called to be decided the very next day. Well, look, fast. there's no point in dawdling. It's not like the story's got a lot more plot to work out. No, definitely not. After a brief discussion, Aylhood's legal team decides to split the job of dealing with the case. Thorsten will announce the settlement, and then Brody will respond to the anger of the chieftains, because they know the chieftains are not going to be happy. <laughs> well, I mean, they've already outmaneuvered Scofty and Goodman by flat out lying about what was agreed to at Law Rock. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I would think the chieftains have to know they aren't likely to be happy with any judgment these two make. Maybe, yeah. They don't, they don't actually know... That these two are scamming them, though. They might still be hoping for a neutral settlement. Well, it's a very cunning plan. And Thorsten is still keeping up that pretense of neutrality. Mm -hmm. uh, Thorsten calls for the attention of... All the chieftains who are involved in the case against Alehood. Uh, and then he says... I'm told that Brody and I are meant to make a judgment in this case. So he's doing something like, uh, oh, you want me to judge your case? Why, why, who ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so now that his victims are off guard, uh, Thorsten lays into him. It seems to us that the woods you owned were worth little. It was great selfishness on the part of men who had enough land to choose from that they should claim this wood as a holding along with others. their others. Aylhood could hardly protect your little wood when he was busy burning down his own. Besides, accidents happen. 
<laughs> accidents happen. <laughs> That's his legal defense. Uh, the insult I know, to Aylhurt. What, what are you, you going to do? I mean, actually, now that I think about it, that's not even relevant. This is a judgment phase, not a trial phase. Yeah, no, exactly. They don't even need to defend Aylhood's actions at this point. No. That, that, this is why it's so dangerous to give someone the right of self-judgment. Mm-hmm. But but Scotty and Goodman, they didn't intend to do that. So this has got to be burning them up. Oh, huh? <laughs> that's what you did there. Uh, now, it gets worse. Uh, Thorsten judges that the worth of the wood is six L's of cloth to each chieftain. That's basically nothing, right? I mean, each L of cloth is worth... Well, (laughs) this is a problem we keep running into. The value of an L of cloth is notoriously hard to pin down because the L wasn't a standardized measurement. Uh, And the quality of the cloth is also a factor, as is the weft of the fabric. Ah, the weft, you're right. No, uh, huh? (laughs) <laughs> what, what what is a weft right so weft is the horizontal threads in the fabric uh when it's woven uh warp is the vertical threads by the way so okay. the the uh the vertical or the warp determines the length of the finished fabric and the weft or horizontal determines its width hmm what if i turn it on its side though does the weft become the warp and the warp become well, but the, the weft? point is when you're trying to work out a measurement or you're saying there's so many L's of cloth, you're measuring by length and cutting uh-huh. it off, but a cloth that has a warp of 18 inches or a cloth that has a warp of 45 inches is a very different value of cloth. I see, I see. And then there are all, all sorts of things to consider uh, in addition to that, right? Mm-hmm. Weaving techniques, patterns, thickness. Sure. Uh, that yeah. could also help affect the value of a finished product. Yeah. I, I really want to learn medieval weaving techniques, uh, but there's never enough time. Now, didn't you just ask me yesterday about brewing mead too? Like, how many things you want to yeah, tackle here? I, I feel like I'm getting to be about a third of the way toward dropping off the grid and becoming a forest recluse. <laughs> I'm sure your family would uh, love that. And <laughs> you're probably farther along than you think. No, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> now, Michelle Smith is really the expert on medieval Icelandic textile production. Uh, and she says that by about 1100, Iceland was using the short L, which is about 18 inches. They're, they're in line with the English L at that point. But that's after our historical period here by several decades. Okay, so you're saying there's no way to know just how badly Thorsted is insulting the chieftain, but he's definitely insulting them. Oh, without question. I mean, I'm going to guess that he's valuing their entire collective damages at a little over a third of a cow. Uh, so, so really insulting them. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and that's going to provoke the chieftains into responding. Which brings us to the centerpiece and, I mean, really to the climax of this saga, which mm-hmm. is the ritual exchange of insults or the fluting. Yes. And uh, you'll remember this from Bondamana Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have a whole new set of insults to share right. with you. Uh, so we're going to talk about this in the judgment section of the show, but this saga really doesn't offer much in most of the categories that we use to judge the sagas. <laughs> oh, you spotted that, huh? Yeah. A lot of our judgment section is actually going to be the podcast equivalent of a... Uh, a casual shrug, mm, <laughs> but the witticism section. Shrug. <laughs> but the witticism section is essentially everything that happens in this part of the story. Yeah, but we can't save it for later. No, no, no. I'm just saying that we're basically trotting out the candidates for notable witticism right now, and mm-hmm. then we'll make a judgment with quick references later. Sure. Uh, but right now we have some insults to throw around. All right, let's dig in. Uh, are you going to keep playing Beard Brody? Sure, I can do that. Okay, means I have to come up with a lot of voices right now. <laughs> now, well, predictably, Scofty is the first to speak up since he was the ringleader of the group. So I'll try to do my best at approximating the Scofty voice you created. 
It is clear that you are eager to have us as enemies. You have involved yourself much in this case, and have not been reluctant to invite our anger. But another day, cases may go more to our liking. And uh, Beard Brody says, Scafti, you will need to win more from other suits than from this one, if you hope to start filling the gap left when your cousin Orm tore a piece out of you for composing love poems to his wife. Ouch! Mm. See, that's rough, man. Uh, a Thorkel Scarf, or Thorkel Fringe, who hasn't been around much so far, is the next to speak. For a man like Brody, this is a mistake. But for Alehood's friendship, or his bribes, Brody's paying by making enemies of such men as he finds here. <laughs> it's no mistake to be true to one's convictions, whatever the difference in men's rank. Now that's a damn good line right there. <laughs> but it was a blunder you made last spring, when you were riding to the thing, and you didn't look out for Stangrim's fat stallion, so that it mounted you from behind while the bony mare you rode collapsed beneath you. Oh dear. <laughs> I've heard that no one could decide which of you it was he nailed. But men saw you pinned for quite a long time. Oh, boy. Because the stallion had its feet over your coat. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's rough. That is a killing insult. It right is. I, we're not done yet. I, I mean, I don't know that there's any way to top that one. That's I really Well, good. I mean, let's see. Um, Ale Thorderson is the third to speak up. Well, it's true enough that this man has plucked off our prey and then insults us to boot. I haven't plucked any prey of yours, Eolf, but it's true that you lost your prey when you went north to Skagafjord and stole oxen from Thorkel Eriksson. Thari of Gudalir rode after you, and when you saw the pursuit, you were so afraid you turned into a mare, which was a real abomination. Huh? Starry drove the oxen back, so it's true he plucked off your prey. Yeah, see, that's, that's sassy. That but one is sassy. I think it's a mistake to put that one after the one about Steingrim Stallion. I know. That should have been the closer. Uh, this definitely comes second best out of two in the mayor insults. Okay. But it is a really interesting accusation. I mean, this is a raid to steal oxen. So basically what we in the medieval studies world call a cattle raid. Uh, well, I mean, it is. Yeah. Do you want to cover this to you? I mean, briefly, at least, it's kind of an interesting... Okay. Because uh, we, we just don't see it very much. Uh, it's late, though. It's a good thing I already have a second beer for this. So, I think the first scholar to talk about this one was Herman Paulson uh, in his critical introductions to a translation of Aylhood in 1971. Um, if I'm off on that, then someone let me know. But Paulson pointed out that this is one of the few direct references to a cattle raid in all of the sagas. Not the only one, but it, it is something of a rarity. Right now, there is... There's one described in Lockstala Saga. Um, and if Lockstala ever wins one of these pick a saga contests, we'll actually get to talk about it. Always a saga bridesmaid, never a saga bride. Aww. Which is quite fitting for Lockstala Saga. I um, suppose. Also, uh, this reference to Eolf's oxen raid uh, isn't expanded on or referenced in any other sagas, which is unfortunate. Right. Yeah, but that probably doesn't mean much since we, we know there are any number of lost sagas, as well as references in other sagas that aren't corroborated elsewhere. Sure, but what interested Paulson is that the cattle raid is a more common motif in other traditions, uh, mm -hmm. especially those of you who have read Irish epics uh, will be familiar with cattle raids. Right. Uh, in fact, the cattle raid is so much a part of the epic tradition that it works as a motif in Irish narratives, kind of like land disputes do in the sagas. It's kind of as a way to introduce a cycle of violence. Okay, now I don't recall Paulson's argument in detail, but William Sayers says something similar in his article on serial defamation in medieval tales. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, which from its t title, that's obviously an analysis of the fluting or insult exchange element in these stories. 
And insult exchanges are also a motif in Irish epic, um, as well as Icelandic narratives. Right. And I know we're getting into some hyper-focused stuff right now, but indulge me for a second. So that's a springboard for Sayer's point that these two cultures have a lot in common. Both are insular communities with a history of feud culture. Uh, They -hmm. both have robust literary traditions. Both were early and heavy users of law and litigation as avenues to resolving conflicts. Both had very similar... um, which call hierarchical social systems. Both had ample opportunity yeah. for cross-cultural pollination. I mean, I think there's Absolutely. really a lot. Sure. I, I mean, Sorry, the ahead. Norse are all over Ireland between the 9th and 12th centuries. Yeah. There's a lot of Hiberno-Norse kind of exchanges Absolutely. going on. Uh, and things are really picking up after the Norse diaspora following Harold Fairhair's conquest of Norway. So Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense that there be that cross-pollination. Right, right. And it goes in the other direction as well, right? The Irish are one of the few groups to have any kind of a significant non-Norse presence in medieval Iceland. Yeah, and we've seen a few references to those pockets of Irish immigrants. Uh, was it Kjalnasinga Saga? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. started out with that kind yep. of thing. Um, and th- so there are these little pockets of Irish immigrants in Iceland in the 9th and 10th centuries that we occasionally right. get reference to. Uh, so for Sayers, this is all enough evidence to consider what he calls cultural affinities, if not outright dependencies, between Ireland and Iceland in the Saga Age. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, and I'm not totally yeah. ready to buy into the transmission argument that Sayers makes, but Paulson's point, at least, is definitely interesting. And I think the connection between the two places is something that we don't always draw as much attention to on this podcast as we might. That's right. But it's a very minor reference in this particular saga, and very little I is made know, of it. So, but, you know... Look, this saga doesn't bring a lot of the a lot of wood. We gotta we gotta we gotta <laughs> except for the wood it burns down. We gotta bring our own That's bats right. and make our own fun. Uh, exactly. All right, but on to the next victim. Uh, so now it's Snorri Gothi. So we already know what the most likely insult there is going to be. It's always the same one with him. <laughs> but uh, you never know. Brody's a clever lad. Maybe he'll surprise us. All right, we'll try it. Uh, Snorri says. Anything would profit us more than exchanging insults with Brody here and now. But we'll recall this at another time when we have a chance to attack him. (laughs) You've got a twisted sense of honor, Snorri. If you concentrate on taking vengeance against me, but do not avenge your father. Yeah, yeah, he didn't surprise us. No, no. So this is a reference to the death of Snorri's father, Thorgrim Gothi, which we covered way back in Gisli Saga. Mm-hmm. So remember, Gisli Sursen killed Snorri's father when Snorri was still in his mother's womb, but uh, he was also the brother of Snorri's mom, Thordis. Right. Uh, Gisli was the mother of the brother of Snorri's mom. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's true that Snorri never sought revenge against his uncle, but he was also still only 14 or so when Gisli was finally killed. That's right. And in any case, it's a complicated situation since killing Gisli would be another attack on Snorri's mother's family connections. Right. And Snorri's used to being insulted with this. Yeah. Uh, remember in Njal's saga, when Skarpathen throws the same insult at him, he just says, Many have said that before, and I'm not the man to grow angry at such words. That's right. It still registers as a public insult, though. Mm-hmm. So Snorri is not going to be happy about that. No. Uh, but we're still not done. There are still two more conspirators. And the next wow. to speak is Thorkel Gateson, who is actually a cousin of Beard Brody. And he says, It looks as though all you got from your namesake, Brodhelgi, is his willingness to deal unjustly with everyone. Like him, you may find that people won't put up with it, and you'll be killed someday. <laughs> I really like that one. We gain no honor, kinsmen, from exposing the ill luck of our kindred to everyone's eyes. 
I cannot conceal that Broad Helgi was killed. I think I heard that your father was also killed. And if you feel with your fingers, you'll find the spot where my father left scars on you at Boldvarsdal. Ooh. Uh, okay. Mm. This one is a reference to a series of confrontations that span several sagas, uh, some of which we haven't gotten to yet. But the main point here is the death of both men's fathers. That's right. Uh, Andy, we saw this feud play out in Vapnafjord saga uh, when Thorkel's father was killed by Bjarni Brodhelgason, uh, who is uh, Beardbrody's father. And then Thorkel accepted a cash settlement after nearly getting killed trying to take blood vengeance. Yeah. And Beardbrody's patronymic is Bjarnason. That's yep. Bjarni Brodhelgason, who killed Thorkel's father Gate and nearly cut Thorkel's arm off. Um, that's Beardbrody's father. Yeah, now there's a real history between these two guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone who's deeply interested in the full story behind these insults should just go listen to our episode on Vapnifird Saga. Uh, it's a fun one, I think. It's the same saga yeah. where Brodhelgi, who's Beardbrody's grandfather, gets killed and no one really seems to mind. <laughs> uh, Jonas Christensen called Helgi the canker at the core of that saga, uh, which is actually an insult that wouldn't be out of place in this fluting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a little meta, though. So, <laughs> But that insult gets a lot better if it's read in that broader context. Right. Um, and the sagas help to fill in that context. Yeah. Uh, but there's still one more chieftain to go. No, there isn't. Well, there is. We haven't uh, We haven't covered Goodman the Powerful yet. Well, we haven't, but that's because Goodman is just a little smarter than his colleagues and doesn't say a word. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> he'll get his in the end. Oh, no. <laughs> so what's going on here? is that he's figured out that Thorsten and Beard Brody have planned all of this and have humiliating insults ready to go for each of the chieftains. Exactly. Now, the others have fallen into the trap of letting themselves be embarrassed in a public setting, right? They keep setting Beard Brody up to drop these insults on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Goodman's going to keep his powder dry and wait for a more private moment to express his feelings about this lawsuit. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is the fluting section, uh-huh. and it's really quite formal, each uh. man in turn offering a criticism or a threat against Beard, Brody, and Thorstein, and then Brody mm-hmm. insulting each of them in turn. Yeah. Now, if you're already inclined toward a Brook Prosist argument, I mean, that is, if you if you believe that the sagas are a written product of the later Middle Ages and show signs of literary formalism. Which you should. Well, I mean, this sort of thing is meat and drink to you. Yeah. Oh, uh, we we just took a hard left into literary criticism, didn't we? That's that's nice. I mean, there's not much saga left. We have to get it in sometime. Well, I think we we could talk about the structuralists as well. For my money, Lars Lonrolf gets a a structuralist prize for his claim that the fluting episodes operate identically for a double audience: mm-hmm. the listeners within the story and the audience for the saga itself. Huh. In both cases, the insults signal normative and transgressive behaviors in an entertaining form, which is fun. Okay, well, if you want to snark about reader response, go right ahead. I shall. Well, wait, wait, wait. But before you do, uh, there's something we have to unpack here. If we grant that the audience of the story reacts to the fluting the same way as the audience in the story, and that's mm-hmm. if, we're essentially assuming that these insult exchanges are recognizable as a reflection of a real practice. Yeah. Were Icelanders really familiar with these kind of rank-out contests? I, I, I'm not really sure that's a necessary question, though. Well, I think it is, but I'm also pretty comfortable saying that they were familiar with them. Mm. But, of course, they might be familiar with them as a trope of storytelling, not necessarily as an actual spectator sport. 
Sure. I mean, it's not just this saga in Bandamana. Mm-hmm. These insult exchanges are part of several sagas and, and lots of thatter. Mm-hmm. Even even in the stories of the gods, we see this kind of thing. Yeah, no, Loki's fluting of the Asir is one of the great moments in Norse myth. Yeah. Uh, and generally speaking, an oral culture with a strong storytelling tradition, I mean, knowing how stories work, it would just be part of the cultural knowledge, right? It's It's the rhythm of storytelling. Yeah, it's one of these set pieces that sets up reader or listener expectations, so they have a function in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Now, you can play with those conventions, but the rough outline is always going to be recognizable to an audience. Of course. Um, now, but that's not granting Longroth's entire claim. The way you phrased it, I think, was that the audiences, the, the audience of the story would react the same way to the fluting as listeners in the story do. That's mm-hmm. a very different statement from just, you know, from saying that they're familiar with literary tradition. Yeah, that, that's a claim for a cultural practice. Yeah, I tend to see it differently. I think recognition of a literary motif provokes a different reaction from recognizing something people are actually doing. Uh, I'm not saying yes or no to Longworth's idea. I'm just saying that proving they'd recognize a fluting in a story isn't the same as proving that, that it's a recognizable cultural practice. Yeah. Uh, Sayers makes the same distinction when he asks uh, about to what degree do the medieval written texts record authentic preliterate verbal behavior? Wow, that that is <laughs> not a question we need to try to answer right now. We're, no. just, we're trying to tell a story here. I mean, it's a it's a it's a massive question. Uh, let's let's yeah. back slowly away from the uh, lit crit story box and get back to our narrative. All right, so there's really no legal wrap up to this thing because the settlement is final <laughs> once it's pronounced by Thorstein. So everyone then goes back to their booths, and there are really only two concluding beats to this story, neither of which involve the titular character Aylhood. Yeah, no. Uh, Aylhood is, as saga authors are fond of saying, out of this saga at this point, uh, which is a weird thing to bother saying because the saga is essentially over. Yeah, I mean, if it's it, I mean, it's not as if Aylhood's really had all that much to do with the action to this point anyway. Well, he did set the woods on fire by falling asleep. I mean, that's pretty much his only contribution. That and uh, crying outside Thorstein's booth. Okay, so so is it over? Are we done already? Can we rest? I think you know that uh, we have a little bit left. <laughs> mm-hmm. The first conclusion happens the next morning. Because there are repercussions for insulting great chieftains. Like As there this. might be, yes. Beard Broly visits the booth of Thorkel Gateson, and he apologizes for bringing up so much of the family's dirty laundry. He says... Mm-hmm. I see that I was wrong in what I said to you. I want you to blame it on my youth and folly and not let our kinship suffer. Which I have to say is pretty big of him. I mean, yeah. things got fairly nasty, but it was Thorkel who started the Yo Papa rank out contest. He did, yeah. But um, Beard Broly's not just apologizing here. He brings an ornamented sword as a gift for Thorkel and offers to host him lavishly for the summer. And that works. Thorkel's happy to take the sword and to affirm their kinship and friendship. Which is actually pretty big of him, mm-hmm. because this isn't just a one-day disagreement. I mean, as we said, this feud goes back three generations. Yeah. So what we're seeing here is a kind of second epilogue to the feud that's at the center of Vapnafird saga. Nice. And it's a rare, happy ending for a saga. Yeah, well, except that it's not exactly the end. There's still one more epilogue. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, uh, so why don't you do this one? Uh, okay, well, at the end of the thing, Beard Brody is riding away on his trip home, when he's confronted by Goodman the Powerful, who's decided that now is the right time to have a word with Brody. <laughs> That's right. Goodman meets him literally just outside the boundaries of Thingveller, mm-hmm. the plane where the, the all thing is held. 
And that means that any violence that occurs now is actually outside the legal prohibitions on violence at the thing. <laughs> and it's a good thing they meet because this saga has yet to have a single person killed. And we're only <laughs> a few paragraphs from the end of the story. Uh, well, don't hold your breath. Uh, Goodman just asks, as if in passing, By which route do you plan to ride home from the thing, Brody? Well, if you must know, I will ride by Kjol to Skagafjord, then to Ljosvatn Pass, then to Mivatn, and finally cross the heath at Mothredaler. Ah, uh, well, keep your word and ride over Ljosvatn Pass. Oh, I'll keep it, Gudmund. But do you mean to close this pass to me? That would be a serious mistake, since I've heard you couldn't keep the narrow pass of your own buttocks decently closed. <laughs> oh, well, this is just a nasty slur. Yeah. Uh, and another killing insult, if I'm not mistaken. It's pretty vicious, this accusation, um, especially for medieval Iceland. Mm -hmm. And people are shocked by this one. So even though Guthman tried to avoid being publicly insulted, Brody's words still got round. Yeah, now this is Brody's flaw as a fluting man, I think. Uh, Ofig and Ail Skulison and Bandamana stuck to innuendo and to insults about their enemies' miserliness and their pasts. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst sexual insult is still only implied when Ail tells Thorar and the Wise to shut up and sit down or I'll accuse you of things so shameful that you'll regret it. Yeah. Oh, oh this is the one about uh, I don't think it's funny, though your servants laugh about it when you sit with your legs tight, rubbing your thighs together. You you just love a chance to repeat that one, don't you? I do. Well, it, it is the winning witticism for that saga, and it's a good one. <laughs> I mean, it's a great one, uh, but it's also a careful one. It skirts the edge of an overt sexual insult without making a specific accusation. That's right. So Eil Skulison can't be summonsed for slander. This, what Beerbrody says to Goodman, this crosses a line. Mm -hmm. It's a direct attack on Goodman's heteronormativity. Yeah, so this ends up being another example of how the public honor of men in this culture was partly informed by their sexual behavior, or at least perceptions of that behavior. Yeah, a man's honor was vulnerable to attacks on his sexual normalcy. Right now, which in this culture, that means heterosexual, virile, ideally potent, right? In other words, mm -hmm. procreative, right? A man who can point to children. Uh, and the higher a man's rank, the, the more important his adherence to those criteria becomes. Yeah. So this is an insult that has to be met with refutation, with violence, legal reprisal, or some combination of all three. Yeah. Except that here... Yeah. <laughs> here, yeah. Uh, no, here it's none of the above. Yeah. Uh, when word gets around about the exchange, Thorkel Gateson and his followers, right, and Thorkel Gateson now is reconciled with Beer Brody, mm -hmm. uh, he and his followers ride to catch up with Brody and escort him to Thorkel's father-in-law's house where they pick up more men. And the whole mess of them ride back to their homes in Vapnafjord. And that's it. And that is it. So Guthman doesn't attack Brody because he's got a huge retinue with him, mm -hmm. or because he thinks better of it, or is he just waiting and biding his time, or is yeah. he a coward? What's yeah. going on? No, that's left entirely up in the air. Uh, he doesn't attack, that's for sure. Uh, we can assume that he sees 50 or 60 men riding where he expected less than a dozen and realizes that he's outgunned. Outgunned. Yeah. Maybe uh, well, outaxed. Yes. Outspeared. Out of luck is how I'd put it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in any normal saga, this would be the beginning of a beautiful hatred that would initiate a whole new feud cycle. But uh, since this quote-unquote saga is really just a long anecdote, the story ends there. 
But our story doesn't end there because it's time to move directly into judgments. Best Bloodshed. All right, well, it's been a really long time since we've had a chance to do a summary and judgments in the same episode. I'm shocked that we were uh, quick enough with uh, the summary (laughs) that we were able to even do this. Right, so Best Bloodshed, this is our chance to celebrate all the balletic violence that marks the art of the saga. And uh, and this time out, there isn't any. Uh, not one, not, not a single <laughs> yes. violent act anywhere in this saga. Andy, for the first and only time, we have a conscientious objector of a saga. So what do we do? I mean... I, I as I was reading the whole thing, I was hoping someone would get a sword <laughs> in the face or something. But yeah, nothing ever happened. I mean, the only thing we could maybe counter the trees that get killed in the in the fire. Oh wow! I don't uh, I don't know if they were that that desperate. Yeah, it doesn't uh, really work. And obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of hurt feelings. There's a lot of hurt <laughs> feelings. That's about all we can count. But that's uh, all for notable witticism. So I, for the first time ever, we mm-hmm. have a saga with no best bloodshed. I think that's correct. I think we cannot give this award. Mm. Um, I think we can spin that as a positive. Uh, we congratulate this saga for its pacifism. Uh, it's <laughs> well, I mean, Goodman the Powerful really wanted to try to give us a number. Yes, but, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But, uh, uh, but yeah, they, no. he was thwarted. Yes, um, no, uh, no candidates, no winner. That's how it goes. Oh, well, well, let's uh, see how body count does. Great, uh, onward. Body count. Well, since we didn't have any acts of violence at all, and there were no plagues or evil spells or elf shot or troll encounters or no even anyone heads. falling off of a horse, really. Uh, yeah. Nothing. Another goose egg. Another a goose, goose egg, egg that will, in the fullness of time, hatch into a tiny, perfect gosling because not even an egg was harmed in the making of this saga. <laughs> Um, I think we've got another nothing here, Andy. Yeah, well, that makes for a quick body count. I mean, these uh, these judgments are moving along really quickly. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Nicknames. Well, so far, Alehood Saga has let us <laughs> down on Best Bloodshed and Body Count. Uh-huh. I'm hoping, though, that a saga whose eponymous character goes by the brilliant sobriquet Alehood might have mm-hmm. something more to offer us in the nickname section. So, please, John. Tell me that this saga has a few nicknames for us to play with. Well, uh-huh. I mean, this is another this is another category where this author doesn't exactly shine. Uh, just like Bondamana Saga, this story Bondamana doesn't saga. really deploy many nicknames, even when we know some of these people have them. Yeah. Uh, Goodman the Powerful, for example, is never actually called Goodman the Powerful in this saga. Yeah. Uh, but we do have just a couple of names to talk about here. Don't get too comfortable, Andy. This won't take long. Okay. Uh, first of all, as you suggested, uh, we have Thorhall Alehood. Uh, the uh, the nickname Alcoffrey does indeed mean Alehood, so there's no real mystery there. Um, I think it's worth just a minute, though, to talk about that name, or at least its implications. Uh, we're told that people don't know Alehood's real name, uh, and so he's given his nickname as a shorthand for that guy with the hood who sells ale. Uh, he's also got bad eyesight and squints, and he's generally known as a hard dealer. And that list of characteristics has led a couple of scholars, uh, William Sayers is one example, to suggest that Alehood might be meant to evoke Odin. Uh, not that he is Odin, but that he embodies several traits that accord with Odinic avatars. Mm, I'm not feeling uh, it. And, 
Well, okay, but I bring this up just to point out that one of Odin's names in the Prosetta and elsewhere is Grimnir, the Hooded Man. Okay. Uh, look, it's a stretch. I'm not denying that. So anybody with a hood on can be uh, Odin? I know. Look, Come on. Bless a squinting guy with a hood. It's very windy there. I mean, why wouldn't you I wear a hood? Know. Yeah. No, I was I'm wearing just, a hood gonna, just today. I'm just going to leave that one there. I don't uh, I don't buy that one either, but we're going we're gonna to put it out there. Uh, next, we have Snorri Gothi. Uh, now, we've mentioned before that Snorri Gothi's entire name is a kind of nickname. Uh, his name at birth was Thorgrim Thorgrimson. Uh, but he's soon called Snorri, or Troublemaker, because of his tendency to solve problems through schemes and plots. Well, didn't we already uh, talk about him when we... Uh, yes, I'm we, just bringing it up because okay. although there's nothing new here, it's fun to point out. And Snorri's never actually won for best nickname. He's not going to win this time either. I'm just I'm just saying he's, you know, we're going to try him out. Okay. Uh, Beard Brody Bjarnason. Well, wait a minute. Now, hang on. Hang on. He's... No. Uh, All right. Skeg Brody... Is pretty clearly a nickname, but I want to link a couple of things together here to point out that, like Snorri Gothi, Brody's entire name is a nickname. Uh, Thorkel Gateson reminds us in this story that Brody is named after his grandfather, but what's not mentioned is that his grandfather's name was Helgi. That's right. Uh, and that Brody is actually named for his grandfather's nickname of Broad Helgi, which means Spike or Spur Helgi. Mm-hmm. Andy, you might recall that Spur Helgi's name came from a time when he tied an ice cleat to his prize bull's head so he could gouge, headbutt a rival bull to death. I do remember that. That's a great story. And that nickname apparently so dominated memories of Helgi that his grandson was given the name Spur as an actual name. Yeah. So Brody's name is technically Beard Spur, which is kind of awesome. Hmm. But do Uh, we... Now, now having said that, I think I know where you're going here. Having said that, we can't give him the prize, I think, because Beard Brody already won Best Nickname for the otherwise nicknameless Bandamana Saga. Oh. Uh, so and I don't think we ever established. Go. Oh, okay. Well, then where were you going to go with this? I don't recall this saga ever calling him Beard Brody. It's just Brody Bjarnason. Um, no, I think he is called Beard Brody at one point. I believe you're imposing that nickname from memory, um, not from well, the actual text. Uh, well, that's fine. <laughs> In any case, he's not going to win this because he's um, already won once before. And I want to just point out again, Brody is a nickname, which is the reason I'm bringing him up here. Okay. I mean, I know you're stretching. That's fine. Oh, yeah. No, I'm absolutely stretching. We're trying to get a few names in here. Uh, But yeah, no. So my point here is that the name Brody is a nickname. Uh, But in any case, he's not eligible, I don't think, because he's actually won before. Okay. Sadly, by the way, Broad Helgi, uh, Spur Helgi has a much better nickname. Never actually won a nickname prize because uh, in the two so- sagas where he was eligible, he lost out to Hrani Goldhat and Thormod Stickstarer. <laughs> Both great uh, names. So <laughs> that's tough. Uh, now, we do also have a reference in this saga to a man named Red Bjorn, uh, which is the sort of basic nickname I'd probably pass over in another saga. But with the mere scraps offered by this story, I have to at least mention it. Uh, but really, Redbjorn is just a segue into our final candidate, his son Thorkel, better known as Thorkel Fringe or Thorkel Scarf. Mm-hmm. Now, Thorkel's nickname was mentioned once before in Henthor's saga, uh, and there we talked about whether the word trefil, which means tatter, rag, or fringe, uh, whether that was a reference to an article of clothing or to Thorkel's beard. 
because it does also get translated as silky or scarf, as we said in the commentary. Uh, what we didn't talk about last time was the possibility raised by Beard Brody's insult about Thorkel, that he was once pinned between two horses in flagrante delicto and couldn't escape because, quote, the stallion has had its feet pinning your cloak. Now, what do we think about the possibility that the tattered fringe referred to in Thorkel's nickname is related to the fringe of his cloak that kept him trapped as the meat in a horse fornication sandwich? <laughs> Andy, your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of like it. I don't believe it, but I love it. I mean, you're so good in these nickname sections at just <laughs> teasing out possibilities that are very <laughs> unlikely, but hilarious all the same. I, I grant you that some of these are stretches, but I actually think Thorkel Fringe, that there's a possibility there. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's an interesting one and a lot of fun. Uh, so I think really in this saga, we come down to either Thorkel Fringe or Alehood yeah. are really our only two real options. Exactly. Um, and I did look up uh, while you were talking. Um, mm-hmm. I looked it up and uh, yeah, uh, Brody is never called Beard Brody or Skeg Brody right. um, in the saga. Right. Uh, so. But so he's, he's Brody. Yeah. Uh, which is fine because again, Brody was the point of this. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I I love your 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 tease uh, and your creativeness with Thorkel mm-hmm. Fringe or Thorkel <laughs> Scarf, uh, but I, I'm gonna give it to Alehood. Yeah, you know, I like the name Alehood. I think it's a it, it's a an interesting name. It is a name that comes to dominate him to the point where nobody actually knows his real name. That's right. Um, and uh, honestly, he's not going to win anything else in this saga. So no, no. Uh, he might as well get something. Definitely not a popularity contest. <laughs> That's absolutely but it's right. A, it's a good example of how nicknames work and where they come from mm-hmm. and all that. All the absolutely. stuff that we've been, we've been trying to do in this well, in this section. So, And one of those examples I always love where you actually get the story of how a nickname comes yeah. to be. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, congratulations, Alehood or Thor Hall or whatever. <laughs> right. Notable, Notable Witticisms. witticisms. Well, now here we go. Finally, uh-huh. we get to the meat under the stuffing, the Tootsie Roll center of this saga's Tootsie Pop. Witticisms are where this author plants his flag. And That's we've right. got some uh, pretty solid candidates here. So uh, where should we begin? Well, I, like say what you want about the, the other categories for this saga. It comes with the heat with notable witticisms. Uh-huh. Um, the award is obviously going to Brody Bjarnason since he's the only one to deliver the kind of stinging slights that we love here at Saga Thing. But <laughs> the question, John, is which of his verbal barbs do we like uh-huh. best? I mean, he's so, got, what, half a dozen of them uh, over the course of this thing. He does, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think we need to read out the exact insult again since we just finished no, no. the saga. Um, but let me provide you with a quick review that touches mm-hmm. on those brilliant insults. Yes. So first up, we had a slight against Scotty Lawspeaker, who mm-hmm. threatened to work against Brody in future lawsuits. Well, Brody quickly responded that Scotty would have to earn a lot of money in those suits to fill the wound left by his kinsman Orm after Scotty composed a love poem about his wife. Oh, dear. Ooh. Scurrilous. Yeah. Well, then he comes with an even stronger one, and... Probably my favorite. Uh, this is Brody's your account. hand there, aren't you? <laughs> well, it, it's good. And I don't know why he uh, he made this one the second one. This is a finisher. Um, it's what you were just talking about. Brody's account of Thorkel Fringe at the uh, the meeting of the two horses in the previous year's spring uh-huh. assembly. He says, "You made a blunder last spring when you were not on the lookout for Steingrim's seal fat stallion, which mounted you from behind." The skinny mare you were on collapsed beneath you, and I have not heard for a fact which of you he nailed. Mm. But men saw you pinned for a long time because 
the stallion had its feet over your cloak. So you know what I like about this is that you just told us you weren't going to recount them word for word and you couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. It's too good. It's too good. Um, Uh And I'll be upset if this one doesn't win. (laughs) In fact, I'll be upset if this one doesn't win for the quarter court as well. Um, but oh my! A couple well, years that is, uh, boy, you are you are Babe Ruth aiming for the fences, aren't you? Oh, it's such a good one, though. I mean, it comes with the whole visual image and Calling everything. Calling your shot. <laughs> so up next, there was Eolf Thordeson, uh, who accused Brody of plucking their prey out from under them, mm-hmm. and the prey obviously being um, Alehood, uh, right. who they're going to take advantage. of. And this of. is the the cattle raid, yeah. Yeah, so Brody picks up on that that word prey, and then he reminds everyone of the time that Eolf had stolen oxen from Thorkel Eriksson. Uh, when he realized he was being pursued by Stari of Guddalar, Eolf turned into a mare and hid, which is such an interesting idea. He turned it's, into a mare. What I think is funny is that's not that's never picked up. Right? We no. never get any explanation as to what that means. I uh, looked whether, up all over the place, tried to find yeah. out what are, what are they talking about. Does he actually turn into a mm-hmm. mare, or does it just like a euphemism for being uh, exactly you know, a coward and Did, running away? Right, behaved skittishly uh, as yeah. opposed to literally transformed. And I'm sure I'm sure that's what it means, and that's why nobody comments on it. Right, so, right. <laughs> uh, but he he allows uh, Stari uh, of Guttaler to uh, pluck the prey back from Eolf right. and return them to Thorkel Eriksson. Now, John, I looked into this one a bit deeper, and Stari of Guttaler, uh, who chases after the cattle thieves, is actually Thorkel Eriksson's brother, the guy who owned the cattle, and mm-hmm. he's better known in saga literature as Homgang Stari. So oh, the nickname there yes. indicates that he's a he's a rather formidable opponent, mm-hmm. and that might explain the intensity of Eolf's yep. fear. Yep. And I believe we're going to be seeing him again in the future. I think we will, yes. yes. Now, according to the uh, 13th century poem called the Eastlendingadrapa, there was once even a saga of Homgangstari. But uh, alas, yeah. it is lost. And maybe, I think it probably would have included the story that uh, Brody references here. So it's a, a tragedy that we lost that one. Oh, dear. Now... Last but not least in the uh, insult exchange was <laughs> Thorkel Gateson, who not so subtly suggests that if Brody continues on the path he's set, that one day someone might kill him just like what happened to his namesake, Brodhelm. Mm-hmm. Now, as we discussed during the summary, Brody explains that it's shameful to air their family's dirty laundry, and he then goes on to remind Thorkel that his own father met a similar end, and if you try, you'll be able to feel with your fingers where my father scarred you. In Boldvarsdal. Right. So Brody says not to air the dirty laundry and then proceeds to throw yes, his socks does. and underwear all over the all thing. Yes. Making Thorkel Gateson look rather foolish. And yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, we should remind everyone that's the only one that he actually apologizes for mm-hmm. uh, when he goes to visit Thorkel the next day. Right. But it's his kinsman, so it's, it's kind of right. appropriate. He feels right. bad about that. Um, I don't know if he actually does line. feel bad. I think this is more. No, I think this is more about um, he's already planned out that he's going to go apologize because he he knows that he needs to get somebody on side after what he's just done to this group of chieftains. And mm-hmm. as a kinsman, Thorkel is sort of the easy mark to turn That's back possible. to his side. I feel like he, he, he understands that he's crossing a line there, but he also knows that as a kinsman, he can probably make it up. So it's maybe a little bit of both. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but there, there is one more that we should yes, consider. Yes, there is. Guthmund may may not rise to the bait during the trial, but mm-hmm. he does get a taste of Broly's sharp wit when he asks Broly which way he'll be heading home a little bit later. Uh-huh. Broly warns him that it would be a mistake to close Josvatten Pass to him, since he couldn't keep the little pass between his own buttocks decently closed. Oh dear, hmm. <laughs> that is that is sassy. So those are the uh, the candidates. 
What are I you going to choose, John? Look, we've got a lot of we've got several good options here. I don't yeah. think that the insults in this one are quite as rich as the ones in Banda Manasaga. Um, I'm always one to enjoy a good insinuation rather than a straight out insult. Uh, yeah. And I think Ail Schoolison in Banda Manasaga gives us some fantastic insinuations that uh, rubbing your thighs together is just unparalleled. Uh, but we're probably looking at either uh, Guthman's narrow pass mm-hmm. or uh, Thorkel fringe uh, turning out to be in the uh, the midst of some horse amour. <laughs> uh, well, you know which I know, one I want. I know you have a feeling on the subject. I, I have a very uh, strong feeling on this one. And since I could probably be convinced either way, I'm going to let you sway me on this one. Well, I think you should. And, the, you know, while uh, the Goodman line is is very well delivered, it, it reeks of uh, homophobia. Absolutely. Right. Uh, um, right so we, that w- we, we said earlier that the, you know, it's part of um, the vulnerability of a man of kind of a, an important public uh, face is that his uh, heteronormativity is part and parcel of his dominance in the culture. Absolutely. And it's uh, in this culture, it's the higher up you are in the society, the more uh, pressure is put on you to be performatively heterosexual and performatively potent as a man and so forth. Exactly. Uh, Which and leads that to the problems to for Njal deep... without, his, uh, with, without a beard, right? Without yeah, a beard, absolutely. you can't be very terribly masculine. Right. It, it speaks to some very kind of deep set prejudices within the culture. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but within that culture, right, this insult is quite biting. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. But and I it, do it, think it, it lacks it lacks the humor. I mean, there's no real humor to that insult. Right? It's right. merely a nasty insult where the Thorkel Fringe insult, because of the way it's done – Right, the no one, no one knows for sure who exactly got it. You or the mayor, kind of thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of humor in the way it's phrased, and so I think there's for that reason, that one. right, exactly. Yeah, and uh, who doesn't love a bit of bestiality in the sagas? I mean, <laughs> why stop it a bit? <laughs> All right, so uh, All right, that one's great. Uh, if yes. if your back has recovered, uh, <laughs> you can walk well, on up here. No, no, Brody gets the 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 award. For oh, that's a good point. That's Thorkel a good point. Fringe is the victim yes, fair twice over. <laughs> uh, congratulations, right, I look forward Brody. to uh, covering that one again in the quarter court whenever there we get go. there. <laughs> oh, Lori. So, um, this is the trouble with treating a Thauter like a saga, because there's <laughs> no body count here. There's no bloodshed. Right. No obvious candidate for full outlawry like we like to do. Right. I mean, I think the six Gothar are set up as the villains, especially uh, Skafti and Guthman the Powerful. But can we really outlaw them for being greedy and corrupt? Where I come from, John, those are grounds for election to high office. (laughs) Ooh, politics, politics. Uh, But no, I think uh, absolutely. I mean, that makes them chieftains. I mean, especially in a later saga, in an 11th century saga, that makes them leaders. Uh, Not good men necessarily, but leaders. Yeah, not even necessarily good leaders, but powerful well, men. That's what they right, are. Right, right. Storgo, though, are we said. Yeah. But so I, I think it, if we're not going to consider really Skopti and Goodman, uh, we mm-hmm. could consider Eolf Thorderson, who was accused of cattle thieving. But right. I'm not comfortable with that one. Well, that's only an accusation, right? We yeah. don't actually uh, have any corroborating evidence for that. Um, yeah. I, we also so have to I, be very, I think we also have to be very careful in this saga because you've already mentioned Skopti. Uh, I know Snorri's also hanging out there. 
Uh, we've never actually addressed the problem of whether you can outlaw somebody who's previously been chosen as a thingman. No, I think uh, I think that would be ridiculous. Well, I don't know. I think it would be very interesting as a question. I don't think it comes up here for exactly the reasons you've mentioned, that these mm-hmm. men are not being exceptionally bad, really. And also, though they are certainly willing to be corrupt and certainly willing to manipulate the law to their own ends, uh, they are actually the aggrieved party in this situation. They greatly exaggerate their losses, yeah. but they are victims of Aylhood's carelessness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and that, I think, leaves only one fair option in this case. I mean, it's Thor Hall, a.k.a. Aylhood. Uh, see, law- I, wondered if, I wondered if we were going to go here. I think we have to because the mm-hmm. law codes of early Iceland state that accidentally burning down another man's woodland was mm-hmm. a punishable crime. Now, yes. the penalty for that was usually just a fine, but it does allow for a sentence of lesser outlawry in extreme cases. The mm-hmm. question is, is this an extreme enough case to warrant lesser outlawry for alehood? Right. I think the question is, um, if the chieftains have their way, yes, obviously it is a case for outlawry. But it seems like their argument is that this is deliberate, not accidental, yes? Well, if if they're pushing for full out, outlawry, yeah, the law code right. would support them. Right. But only if it's deliberate. If the, but only if, if it's the woods were burned as a malicious act. Exactly. And, Which is, and of course, we know that that wasn't the case. Alehood was, was neglectful, but not malicious. Exactly. And, you know, I think uh, there's a good argument for outlawing him, giving him a sentence of lesser outlawry, uh, mm-hmm. similar to kind of what happens to Ravenkill. He He's a proud man. Right. Right. Uh, he needs a, a little bit of a comeuppance. And uh, maybe this is just the kind of rude awakening he needs. <laughs> uh, although, as I recall, we never actually punished Travenkill for his crimes. And in fact, someone chose him as a thinkman. That, well, see, uh, Ravenkill we'll, comes uh, around and learns his lesson. I see. I see. Uh, so you think that Aylhood needs to learn a little lesson? I don't think he, he leaves the saga a nobler mm-hmm. man than he he was when he began. I would say <laughs> no. that. Um, I, you know what? I'm comfortable with minor outlawry for Aylhood. Exactly. Um, I don't think he's done anything horribly wrong, but you know, that's out of the district. He doesn't even right, have I mean, to leave Iceland. Just we would we would call that. I mean, criminal neglect. Yes. Um, you know, especially when you consider that Iceland, especially in the 11th century, is not uh, rife with woodlands. I mean, there aren't really a lot of wooded areas to choose from. Mm-hmm. Uh, to burn one down from carelessness is a fairly significant act. Exactly. So, sorry, Alehood. We're going to yeah. have to uh, ask you to take your business elsewhere. Well, but only out of the district. Just for a little while. We'll see you soon. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Take your Budweiser and go. That's right. I mean, that's his real crime, isn't it? <laughs> Selling crappy beer. <laughs> Terrible. Cheers. Thingman. All right. So, Thingman section. Now... As I was reviewing this saga, I thought to myself, why did I choose to go first last time? That's a very good question. <laughs> I think I told myself that there were so many good candidates in this one that uh, it would all work out. But I forgot that mm-hmm. we already had many of these characters <laughs> and the ones that were left over aren't all that amazing. Which leaves, uh, you know, some some slim pickings. But I think, uh, I think there's some good candidates here. But uh, you get to go first. So why don't you tell us who you're choosing and why? All right. Uh, well, as you said, on first blush, I mean, this saga is just chock-a-block with uh, great Thingman choices. I mean, Snorri Gothi, Skofti Lawspeaker, Goodman the Powerful, Beerbrody Bjarnason. For a tiny little saga operative, this has some serious options for Thingman. 
and they all have significant roles to play and are therefore viable. Now, the fatal flaw of this saga is that we're coming to it too late in our trawl through the sagas. I took Snorri Gothi way back in Erbidja Saga, and I nabbed Skafti Lawspeaker in Gunlog Serpentung Saga. Andy, you grabbed Beard Brody in Bondamana Saga, even though you didn't remember it until you were reminded. I'm real proud of that one. <laughs> and I even picked up uh, Brody's father, Bjarni Brodhelgason, in Vapnafir yeah. Saga. Now, once you remove all the prime cuts of Thingman meat from the table, this feast begins to look like a rather thin sandwich. <laughs> Fortunately for me, there's still one piece of top-grade sirloin to be had. The one man in that list of great saga figures I mentioned earlier who has somehow slipped through our fingers until now. A man who makes things happen, a mover and a shaker, and a man smart enough to know when to keep his mouth shut during a fluting. Uh, (laughs) Guthman the Powerful, I don't know how you managed to stay on the board this long, but I'm damn glad you'll be joining my team. Welcome aboard, (sighs) Guthman. I appreciated your support for Njal and Njal Saga, and I appreciate the support you'll be offering me. Hmm. Guthman the Powerful. You know, I'm not surprised that you took him. Oh, of course you're not. (laughs) No. (laughs) I've been looking at him for several sagas, but he always kind of just peeks in, you know? He's Mm -hmm. not really there long enough to really consider. I would argue Uh, that he played a significant enough role in Njal Saga that he was viable. It's just that it was Njal Saga, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, he is, he, as you say, he's a formidable opponent with a long and illustrious family tree. And speaking of Njal Saga, for those of you who have a copy of that saga, I'd encourage you to crack it open mm-hmm. to chapter 113 and read the page or so that is entirely devoted to his genealogy. Yeah. It is extremely <laughs> impressive, and there's no denying that. But I also want to encourage you to read just a little bit further uh-huh. in that chapter where the author of Njal Saga gives his opinion of Gudmund's character. Meh. I think uh, there... You will find, and yes, I did prepare for this, mm-hmm. finally. Because you knew that Guthman was clearly the best choice in this saga, and that therefore yeah. I'd be taking him. And I'm still on vacation, so I had time <laughs> to prepare something. But yeah, I think you'll find if you read the end of that chapter, 113, mm-hmm. that uh, Guthman has a, a reputation for bullying those he deems beneath himself in status and money. And it says there that Guthman was a great and wealthy chieftain. He had a hundred servants. He oppressed the other chieftains north of Oxendal Heath so much that some had to leave their farms, others lost their lives to him, and others gave up their godors because of him. And just to I mean, drive that the sounds point like home, a, that sounds like a chieftain you want on your side, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, to drive this point home about the seriousness of Goodman's abuses of power, mm-hmm. the genealogy chapter then concludes with a final note about his descendants. In a line almost dripping with sarcasm, the Njal Saga author says... From him are descended all the best people of Iceland, oh. the people of Odi, the Sturlung family, mm-hmm. the people of Hwam, mm-hmm. and Fjot, and many others. He's talking about those Storgothar, or the big chieftain who consolidated power through corruption in the 13th century. Well, so, now, I want to be very be... clear about something okay. there, if I may. Um, you may. That line is only dripping with sarcasm if you assume that the author is not himself in the employ of one of those Storgothar families, which it is very likely that he is. I read that line as being an obsequious compliment to his patrons rather than Mm. an insult to Goodman the Powerful. Goodman is the progenitor of the very people who can afford to hire saga writers in the saga writing age. And so in many ways, well, but couldn't we make the argument, and and I think we can, that Goodman the Powerful uh, is the one who sets into motion 
some of those very powerful families that, as we said, do have their problems later on, but also mm-hmm. in the full flower of their power and wealth are able to set the ball rolling on the Age of Saga writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And if we're, in, if we're going to make an argument about corrupt chieftains who dominate others, I do want to just bring us back a few minutes to when we pointed out that you took Hravenkel's saga, Hravenkel, uh, with your very first choice for Thingman, mm-hmm. a man who famously is the man for whom the term uneven-handed man, Oyavna the mother, was <laughs> <Yeah>. invented. <laughs> I don't know how many times I need to say this. Hravenkel was bad at the beginning, oh, but good at dear. the end. Oh, dear. I like a reformed Hravenkel. <laughs> And that's who I chose. Fair enough. Anyway, so yeah, so Goodman's a great choice. Yes, he, well. he may be powerful and he may be influential, John, but I'm comfortable letting him go to you. That's great. Though I think uh, I'm going to say, yep. I, I'm a bit surprised, if I'm being totally honest here, that a guy who proudly sports the Star Wars rebel insignia on his lapel <laughs> on nearly every day would choose yet another representative of the Empire, the dark side. Oh, wow. Thingman. Wow. That's a, How could you? That's a lot. You know what I think? I think that you're spending a lot of time talking about my choice for Thingman and uh, mm. stalling on having to pick one yourself out of the dregs remaining. Oh, I'm not stalling. I just know when it gets around to the quarter court, <laughs> I won't have the time to prep. So this is my, my first so, stab. So uh, what, do we, uh, what do we talk about what you've got going on? All right. So there's a bunch of candidates left. Uh, with Goodman gone and Broly Bjarnason, who really shines here already in my Thingman stable, <laughs> I'm left with only a few characters to choose from. <laughs> and I can't choose Snorri Gothi, as you said, because you've already got him. Yes, and you've also got Scott the Law Speaker. Yes, I have. And I can't choose Aelhood. Not that I would, because <laughs> he's been outlawed. And that leaves Thorkel Fringe, Eolf Thorderson, and Thorkel Gatesson. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm definitely not choosing Eolf Thorderson. He's accused of cattle theft, which is bad enough on its own. Right. But some of our more studious listeners, John, will remember that Eolf Thorderson is the man who took charge of the hunt for Gisli Sursen, mm-hmm. which we covered back in episode five of Saga Thing. And I didn't like Eolf hiding behind his men then, and I don't like him <laughs> anymore now. That's right. Another nickname, yeah. by the way, that doesn't show up in this saga. The Grey. Exactly. It's Eolf the Grey. Yeah. Um, then there's Thorkel Fringe, or Thorkel Scarf, or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. him. And he's certainly a noble man, and he comes off well in Henthorir Saga as a noble and helpful mm-hmm. friend. Uh, he also earned the award for notable witticism in that saga when he threatened to bounce the hilt of his sword off the nose of a lazy servant. That's right. I don't know if you remember that That's one. That's right. You enjoyed that one. But Yeah, but there's not much to Thorkel Fringe, and we are going to meet him again when we eventually get to Lakstala Saga, uh-huh. and when we do that, I think you'll agree when we do that he's hardly worthy of being selected as thing. <laughs> so I'm going to pass on Thorkel Fringe. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the second and far more appealing Thorkel, uh-huh. the son of Gate. Now, we learned all about him in Vapenferdinga Saga and the Saga of the Sons of Droplaug. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy who settles his dispute with Bjarni, Broly's father, rather peacefully, <laughs> which I was impressed uh, about at the uh, time. If I remember correctly, yes. Sorry, I'll let you go on and then I'll, I'll rebut. Thank you, sir. <laughs> now, Vapenferdinga Saga even gives him a, a beautiful coda, saying that he was a great chieftain a most valiant man, and a great helper in lawsuits. Now, John, I'll admit, we both had the opportunity to take him twice, two different sagas, Uh and we passed on him both times. But I'm going to tell you, I did not really see the beauty and the shining character of Thorkel Gatesson until reviewing for this particular episode. Andy, you once took a man named Thorvald the Healer. He shines in other sagas. I'm taking Thorkel Gatesson. 
and I'm real proud to have him and correct that mistake of uh, uh-huh. previous two sagas. You, uh, you you once took a man named Thorvald the Healer who appeared for a page and a half in Vopnifrid yeah. Saga rather than take this man. I did that uh, in case anyone got injured. That uh-huh. was a smart choice. <laughs> I also want to point out that what you claim is his uh, amicable settlement with Bjarni came after uh-huh. he attempted to ambush Bjarni, uh, failed in that attempt, nearly had his arm severed, was then healed by Bjarni's healer, <laughs> Thorvald the Healer, who was sent to him. I think him, his name is Thorvard, but yes, that's uh, fine. At which point, uh, he then had to accept amicable settlement and took a financial payment for his own father's death rather than continue to pursue blood vengeance. I think it is a progression of character that shows uh, a maturation. <laughs> Yet again, I get a character who is a morally upstanding oh, wow. fellow. That is a whereas you take the you are uh, trying very hard here and cruel, mm-hmm. immoral brute. You are trying very hard here, but I think uh, I think when you go back, well, when our listeners go back and listen to Optifred Saga, they will realize that Thorkel Gadison is uh, not quite the uh, the world beating catch that you're trying to make it out to be. <laughs> no, uh, no one's going to. I that. accept these um, probably no, the best honesty, of would, the remaining take, uh, small Thorsten's- fry, but uh, you, uh, well, you it, go ahead. In all honesty, John, I would take Thorstein Sidhu Halson, mm-hmm. the, the big name behind Alehood's defense. But of uh, as we've discussed, we can't take a guy who has a his own saga right, coming exactly. up, which ruins my right. grand plan right. for this particular yeah, saga. We should point out that both of us, uh, you know, would be tempted by him uh, if he weren't uh, being reserved for another saga. Yeah, he's got his own saga yeah. and he's actually got two Thatcher about yep. him as well. So uh, we're going to be seeing quite a lot of Thorstein Sidhu Halson. And I look forward to welcoming him to my Thingman crew. Do you? At some point Do in the future. You? I hope so. <laughs> I well, think so. I don't actually know what he I does. I can only assume that you weren't looking forward to adding Thorkel Gatiss into your crew, so I don't blame you for looking forward. I, for I one, am delighted to be saga. Uh, welcoming Goodman to my crew right now. Uh, I think we're both mm. happy. I think I have cause to be, and I think you've uh, managed to convince yourself. I mean, I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> final, final rating. rating. Amazingly, we're already at the point where we can pass our final judgments on this saga. Hmm. Andy, since I had the pleasure of going first for Thingman this time, and it was a pleasure, the honor is yours. Uh, what did you think of Alehood? See, now I'd really rather not go first on this one, <laughs> since I'm not really sure how to rate the thing. I don't. On the one hand, I mean, it's a great story. Mm-hmm. The author manages to accomplish quite a lot in what will no doubt be our shortest saga. <laughs> yes, it His will. His characters, I think, are, are quite well drawn. The plot is carefully constructed and engaging from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. He packs this uh, satire full of humor, wit, and social commentary relevant to the age he's writing. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. Yep. I'm a sucker for sagas and tales of the 13th century that highlight the abuses of power. Since I live in an age that still does it. Uh, and I think the addition of Politics. the unlikable Alehood as the lead character makes for a far more poignant look at the human condition than a purely noble protagonist could possibly accomplish. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't necessarily a story of good guys versus bad guys. The Gothar here are opportunists, but they're not all bad. Yes. You know, while while he's eager to destroy Alehood at first, uh, Guthman the Powerful does adjust his position after being confronted with Alehood's humanity. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sucks that he's being played by Alehood at this point, but <laughs> isn't that how humans treat each other? There's a moral <laughs> complexity and maybe or maybe maybe it's an amoral complexity to this <laughs> this particular saga. And that all feels genuine to mm-hmm. me. But but can we really call this short story a saga? I know that there's some controversy in the scholarship <laughs> over what makes a saga a saga and how we're meant to distinguish a saga from a thater. 
Emily Lethbridge actually warns that there's a danger in such distinction since mm-hmm. labeling a text like Aylhood's Saga as a Thouter implies a certain hierarchical value judgment yeah. that regards sagas as better because they are longer and more complex. Mm-hmm. But as a student of literature and a lover of the short story, I don't make that distinction. In fact, short stories often impress me far more than novels in terms of their literary quality. And Alehood is an impressive short story, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's still not a saga, though. I said before <laughs> that I don't know how to rate this one, and I, I can't give it a low score because it's great for what it is. But I also can't give it a high score because it isn't a good example of what saga literature can be or should be in my mind. But since it's regarded as a saga in our master list of 40 sagas, I am forced to give it a score. So mm-hmm. I think, John, I'm going to ride the fence on this one and give this saga of Alehood a five. Wow. All right. So uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, what can I say uh, that you haven't already said? I mean, a fair amount, actually. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, as a short story, I think you, know, you and I agree on this. As a short story, this is a nifty read. Uh, yeah. It offers a well-executed double cross, a nice set piece in the form of a fluting, a couple of interesting characterizations, and a uh, you know a quick wrap-up. Uh, now it leaves some loose ends hanging, like uh, you know, as we said, whether Goodman is going to follow up on his threat to Beard Brody, or what mm-hmm. Snorri Gothi might be planning with his murmured threats of an attack at some later date. I guess, yeah. Uh, but I think that's not necessarily a problem if we think of this. And this is where I come down on that side of it being more of a thouter. Uh, if we think of it as obeying its own idiosyncratic rules, the rules of a short story, rather than the imposed set of formal genre expectations that come along with the saga. Uh, we mentioned earlier that there's an argument to be made that this has a bit in common with the continental fabliaux tradition of the 13th century. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with them, fabliaux are basically comic stories, usually with a sexual or scatological transgressive element. So it's a, a dirty joke, in other words. And like a Fablio, this story doesn't worry about loose ends because by the rules it's playing by, they don't exist. This story doesn't really exist outside of the confines of its anecdotal narrative. Mm-hmm. Goodman's threats or Snorri's threats are only relevant until we reach the end of the story, at which point they and the world they inhabit cease to move forward. It's the same way that we aren't meant to worry about the aftermath or the consequences of a joke about a traveling salesman and a farmer's daughter. Uh, however that joke ends, we don't worry about what happens the next morning. Uh, we aren't supposed to worry about the ramifications of Alehood once the last line of the story is told. It's not that kind of a story. I don't think this is a fabliau, mind you, but I think it plays by some of those same rules. Ultimately, it's a joke. An extended lampoon of a self-important oligarchic ruling class and their disregard for any claims on truth except their own flexible and disposable ethics. As you said, we should be able to recognize that given our current political climate. (laughs) This is a satire, right? The humor is the point and the argument of the story. Now, I'm not going to rehash all the objections to classifying this joke story as a saga. Uh, The Complete Sagas Collection is our guide. It says Alehood's a saga, and so it gets a place in the podcast. But really, in the gap between sagas and Thotter, this sits in the middle of the DMZ. The problem is that then I feel obligated to judge this, at least in part, as a saga, rather than the somewhat unique piece of comic prose that it is. I think you and I have the same problem here. As a saga, it's missing almost everything that gives a saga its shape and purpose. It's missing a skeleton, Andy. This thing lacks the structure that a saga narrative needs. 
So I can't rank it among the better sagas the Islanding of Sogar. But it's clever, it's paced well, and it does what it sets out to do. I I see, like you, I'm sitting on the fence, but I wanna I just want to make it clear that I think that it's good at what it does. So I'm gonna give it an extra point for being good at what it does. I'm gonna mm. give it a six. I oh, may regret it in the morning, but I, I wanna make that point that it's it's good at what it does. Yeah. See, I almost did that as well. Mm-hmm. I almost did the extra point thing just because I, I like it enough, but yeah. uh, uh, just not saga y enough. I agree. For me to, I agree. Yeah, so, uh, and I'll admit that I also, me, yes. there's a soft spot there. There's a soft spot because yeah. Alehood is probably the first long text that I translated when I was learning Old Norse. Uh, uh, and so I've, I've got a soft spot for it. I admit an that. An extra point for that, maybe. Possibly. Well, that's a, a five from me and a six from John. So that's 11 total. Mm-hmm. Um, not not so bad for a tiny little saga. Exactly, exactly. If you yeah. count that as a per per page, <laughs> it's probably the yeah, highest good. ranked saga we've had so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, my friends, brings our review of the saga of Alehood to an end. Oh, that was a fun one. It was. I agree. Uh, I always enjoy the Thouter, and <laughs> I'm, I'm really I'm really looking. I always enjoy the Thouter, and I'm looking forward to doing more in the coming year. You had to get that last slap in, didn't you? I mean, it might be hard to squeeze it in. I mean, we're going to have our hands full for a while with Ale Saga. Well, especially if you want to stick to this crazy plan of posting shorter episodes every two weeks. Yeah. Why did I agree to that? Agree to that? I was. Yeah. I th- think it was your idea, wasn't it? Well, I could swear you came up with that plan. I'm not sure about that, but either way, I'm going to be shocked if we can actually pull it off. Oh, yeah. No, everybody, I'm, I'm everybody work- who's listening to this, let's be very clear. Uh, when we say every two weeks, we mean we hope for every two weeks. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, I mean, at that point, you might as well not even say it. Yeah, I'm going to be working hard on a book project this semester, and I'm sure you've got big plans as well. So I do, but this going to happen? I also feel confident that we, if we commit to doing shorter episodes, we can get them done at least more often. Well, I feel confident. That it doesn't matter how many chapters we choose to cover, we're still going to end up talking about them at great length. Well, of course we are. It's uh, Ale Saga. (laughs) But I'm eager to give this more rigorous schedule a try if you are. I'm game. All right. So before we go, I want to thank Matt Smith for contributing yet another brilliant original drawing to our cause. You know, I was wondering what Matt would choose to do while reading this one. And I have to say, (laughs) I I am not disappointed. I am impressed. Fortunately, Matt is a man of class, and he doesn't disappoint. So uh, so this is it. Now we go from our shortest saga to one of the longest. Uh, in the meantime, let us know what you thought of Alehood and our judgments. Yes, you can reach us on Twitter, where we are Saga Thing Pod, or on Facebook, where we're Saga Thing Podcast. And if you want to get in touch with a, a longer message, why not go old school and send us an email at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, or you can build yourself a network of optical telegraph towers and start signaling your heart out till we notice. Might I recommend a semaphore tower? Or perhaps you're more of an Admiralty Shutter Telegraph fan. Uh, Take your pick. We await your signal. (laughs) Yeah, with bated breath, we'll we'll just look for those uh, shutters to be flapping away. That's right. Maybe Uh, maybe a clacks if you're in Discworld. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you hear from us, we will be embarking on our great adventure... The greatest adventure. <laughs> you know, The Hobbit. This Frodo of the Nine Fingers. I was, wait- I was waiting for Frodo of the Nine Fingers. <laughs> this is from the, uh, the Hobbit, not Frodo of the Nine Fingers. That's, that's later. Where anyway, is we'll be- Frodo of the Nine Fingers? You got you to gotta shake your throat. Frodo. <laughs> anyway, uh, we will be embarking on our great adventure through the exciting saga of Ailes Scott Grimson. 
Oh, there's so much to discuss there. There's so much good material. I can't wait. Until then, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. It is clear that you are eager to have us as enemies. You've involved yourself much in this case, and have not been reluctant to invite our anger. Reluctant. But another day, cases may go more to our liking. What is, he became a weird Irishman at the end there. What happened? Did I? Uh, he was like, maybe go more to our liking. Cases may go more to our liking. Oh, get off me pot of gold. Jeez. Oh,